Good to see everyone out this morning. So, usually on the fifth Sunday of the month, is it a little hot? It sounds a little hot. Sometimes I get real loud and then I don't want to burst everyone's eardrums. Anyways, uh, usually on the fifth Sunday of the month, we would have the youth group uh, kind of doing things and give Pastor Zeke uh, a weekend off. Um, but the youth group's not up here today, but we're still giving him the weekend off. He needs to rest now and again. And so uh, pray for him this year that he would actually um, rest a little bit because he doesn't do that. So we're going to pray that for him this year. Um, but so what we're going to do is continue on in 1 Corinthians, which is what we do when Pastor Zeke's out of the pulpit. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, today we're going to talk about learning from the past. Uh, I think the past is one of our best teachers, right? When someone else can make a mistake, that's an even better teacher for us, right? You know, sometimes we'll say, I can't learn it unless I, you know, make the mistake myself. And, you know, we just can't afford that kind of stuff, you know? If we don't learn from other people's mistake, it's real dangerous. I was reminded uh, of when I, w- I took uh, my youth group to Canada on a missions trip, and uh, we did a youth retreat up there, and it was a different kind of youth retreat. We did a retreat where we went hiking, and so we were hiking this killer trail that we found out later people travel the world to go uh, hike, and, uh, and we were just a bunch of city slickers, so we didn't know what we were doing. So what I would do is I took one of my students that I trusted, and I said, you walk in front of me, Right? Because I want to learn what's slippery and what's not. I want to learn where to put my feet. And I want to learn where not to put my feet. Maybe that's not a great leader, but, uh, <laughs> but I trusted him to do that for me. And, uh, and I think that's what we're going to see today. We're going to learn from some Old Testament examples of what we ought to do and also what we ought not to do. So before we do that, let's pray. And we'll talk about these things. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we pray that you, God, would be our teacher this morning. That you would speak to us by your word wherever we are, however we've come here today. We pray that you would speak to us. Lord, if if we're in a place that's not pleasing to you, we pray that your word today would get us back on path. Lord, if we're doing great today, may your word just Uh, encourage us and give us that amen that we're doing the right thing. But Lord, for all of us, we want to learn. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you to come to fill us, to give us insight and understanding into your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, let's read verses 1 through verse 13. We'll come back and talk about it. We'll even jump back to chapter 9. So we can kind of have a little bit of the context of what we're looking at. He says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. 
And, and do not become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and they were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. For no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You can just hear it all. Mm, that's a collective mm, right there. Yeah, what, it's a powerful text. Especially, and I think verse 13 is something that we've all heard. And it's something that I think most people quote. But as we go back and look at chapter 9, just a little bit, uh, Pastor Jacob and Pastor Gary shared that chapter and talking about Paul when he when he kind of stands up and says hey look and it's like this really hard part of the letter when Paul says uh, as the leader of the church it's okay that I'm compensated by you guys it was so difficult for Jacob to teach that text he had just come on staff and he had to teach about how it's okay for a pastor to be compensated. Uh, and he goes man if I would have taught this three weeks ago it would have been a problem now I'm like here on staff anyways but Paul says he had that right. But then right after that, he says, but I won't exercise that right. I won't, I won't exercise it if I could be a blessing to you. He said, I just desire that all men be saved. So then he talked about, so I'll be all things to all men. To those who are under the law, I'll be like under the law. To those who are weak, I'll be like one who's weak. I'll just be all things to all men so I might in some way maybe save some, Right? And then he said, and I'll do that in such a way that I will run hard. And he talked about this guy who runs a race, right? That he disciplines his body, that he keeps it in sub subjection, that he's temperate in all things. And he says, so that if I would run all this way and lead people to Christ, that there would be, but he goes, but I, but I do it in a way so that I would not be disqualified. And today, as he starts chapter 10, he's talking about what the disqualifiers are and what they look like and how we can all fall right into them. And so he starts out in chapter 10, he says, I want you, brethren, not to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all were under the sea or passed through the sea. They were baptized into Moses with the cloud and the sea. So we have to, in our minds, go back to Exodus. Now, I, I would imagine most people in here have heard of the book of Exodus, maybe read it once or twice. Some have even studied it, but there might be some in here who haven't. And so we're going to do a little bit of review. When God delivered his people out of Egypt, they were slaves for just over 400 years in Egypt. They remained a nation and God said, I'm going to rescue them out of there. When it came time to rescue them out, and you got to remember, Egypt was the world superpower of the day. Pharaoh was the most powerful man on the planet. And so God rescues his people and pulls them out. And it's nothing but a miracle that his people come out of Egypt, out of slavery. But then they get into the wilderness and then they really see God's hand move. Because we find that there's about 600,000 men who are able to fight 
That would be the way they took the census in those days. And so for 600,000 men, if you just have families of four, you'd have about 2 million people in this group. How do you feed 2 million people? Well, he, he talks about how, number one, God led them first through a cloud. He had this cloud that would go ahead of them. And when the cloud would go, they knew they were to follow that cloud. And then in the nighttime, how do you see the cloud in the nighttime? Well, he turned it into fire at night and there'd be this pillar of fire at night and they would follow a pillar of fire. So God would lead his people, you see. And it's really nice that this cloud followed them because in the desert, it gets kind of warm. Maybe you know that in the summer, right? Anybody ever notice it's warm here in the summer? Uh, (laughs) Of course it is. Uh, But, you know, and and he he would... give shade to his people and he would lead them so they saw the cloud that led them but he said also they all passed through the sea do you remember when you and this is like a giveaway for our young adults we just started the book of exodus so maybe plug your ears so that we still have some you know something to talk about at young adults bible study but they come up to the sea when they're coming out they got rocks on both sides a sea in front of them and the army of pharaoh breathing down behind them and what does god do well we know the story He opens up the sea and they pass through the sea. You would think that after being delivered from slavery and having the sea open up for you so that you can walk through on dry land, you would think that would be enough to trust God for the rest of your life, right? You would think so. But then they get to a place where he says, uh, and they all ate in verse three, the same spiritual food. Well, you remember that the people run out of food. They had ran away from Egypt very quickly. And so what happened is, is God said, I'll provide bread for my people. And it was a miraculous thing, right? That every morning they went out and collected manna. And the word manna literally means, what is it? They didn't even know what it was. But it, and it, and it tells us what it tastes like and stuff like that. But it was, it was the stuff that they'd go out in the morning, they'd collect it, they'd eat it. They couldn't save it for the next day. They would have to go out again the next day and every morning get up and go eat. And miraculously, God provided for their needs. But then the people get thirsty. So what does God do? He tells Moses, see that big rock over there? I want you to take your staff over there, the one that you've done all the miracles with, and go hit it, and then water will gush forward. And it's not just like a little stream. Again, this is two million people that need water. So this thing gushes forth. And it's really interesting. In verse four, when he talks about this spiritual drink and that rock that followed them, he says what? That rock was what? We didn't know this in Exodus, but we know it here because of this text. That rock was Christ. Which is very interesting, if, and this could be a whole other study, and we won't get into it too much. But that's why once the rock was supposed to be struck, just like Christ, right? He died once and for all for our sins. The second time Moses got in trouble, why did he get in trouble? Because he hit the rock again. No, 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 no. Jesus is crucified once for us. That's it. After that, you talk to the rock. But he did it, and then he misrepresented the Lord to his people. You know the story. But in verse 5, it says, With these people, again, they had been delivered from slavery. They had crossed through the Red Sea. They got food every morning, and they got water. God took care of his people. You would think with those things that people would never even be tempted to do anything else but worship God for the rest of their lives. But what does it say in verse 5? It says, but with most of them, God was not well pleased. And their bodies were scattered all through the wilderness. 
If you remember Numbers chapter 14, if you're a note taker, we're just going to take a few notes today. If you're a note taker, you could read Numbers chapter 14 and especially verses 29 through 31. When the people disbelieve, they don't trust in God. And because of that, God says, okay, so now anyone who's 20 years and above will not go into the promised land. I brought you out of Egypt to take you to the promised land, but because of your disbelief, I've got to leave all these people scattered in the wilderness. And only the kids are going to go in. And so they would wander for 40 years so that all those 20 and above can die off. Why? And we'll get into exactly why. So, so imagine those 19-year-olds are like, man, I wanted to be 20 so bad. Boy, today I'm glad I'm not 20. But they would have to be, what, 59 years old? 59 years old? Whatever it was, they'd be old by the time they'd go into the promised land. 40 years that they would travel around. And most of it was because of their unbelief. And we're going to get into that right now. But they're scattered in the wilderness. But verse 6 says, Now these have become our examples. There are examples. Again, guys, if we're not willing to learn from the past, what, what is that famous saying? Those who don't learn history are doomed to repeat it. Right? That if we won't learn from the past, we're going to make the same mistakes in the future. And so he starts out with these people. He says, these are our examples. So let's look, he says, at different examples of what these people did in order that we might learn. He says, to, to the intent that we should not lust after things as they did. Now, Numbers chapter, uh, Numbers chapter 11 talks about this time that this word lust would appear out there back there in Numbers chapter 11 about these intense cravings that the people had and they gave themselves to these cravings. You see, God was providing food for His people every day, but they started going, but we just want meat. God, we know You're providing, but we want different provisions. We want something else. We want more than what you've given us. And it said they had these intense cravings. And you would find that in Numbers 11.4, this word about these intense cravings, and also verse 34. And so what did the people do? Now, this is going to be a theme for today. That the people, when they did not get their way or they wanted something else, they would begin to complain. And they would complain two places. They would complain against God for what He'd put them through and against his representative Moses. And there would be even times that Moses and the Lord would kind of, seems like, argue with each other. That God goes, Moses, what's going on with your people? He goes, hey, not my people. You know, kind of like a mom and dad when the kids are disobeying. You know what your son is doing? He's not my son. He's your son, you know? And it was kind of like that deal because of all the complaining. So the people crave meat, and they complain to the Lord and all of a sudden, this, these quail come, and there's enough quail that the people can pretty much just knock them over and eat them. And they, I mean, they are just being gluttonous, and they're just eating. And a plague comes, and many of them die. I mean, it could have just been, uh, you know, when you haven't eaten certain things for so long, and you just gorge yourself that it really you know, messes you up. But, but they gave themselves to these intense cravings instead of just being content with what had been given to them. 
in verse 7, it says, do not become idolaters. So the first thing that, he, that there, was, there was in verse 6 was they lusted after evil things. The second one is it says not to become idolaters as it is written. Now, you know the story of this back in Exodus chapter 32. Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments from God. Okay? He's up there 40 days, 40 nights. He's with the Lord. It's a beautiful time. God had already spoken from Mount Sinai. The people go, God, don't speak to us anymore. Just talk to Moses. You know, we don't want to hear your voice no more. This is scary stuff. So they're down the bottom of the mountain. Moses is up. He's inside the cloud. There's thunder. There's lightning. There's all this crazy stuff going on. And they hear God speaking to Moses. And, and then after a few days, they go, you think he died up there? I wonder what's become of him. And so Aaron, the one left in charge, goes, guys, just give me all your gold (laughs) and uh, we'll figure something out. And so he makes a golden calf out of all this gold. He melts the gold, makes a golden calf, and he sets the golden calf up and he goes, look, this is what brought us out of the land of Egypt. Right? I mean, silly. And it says that the people rose up to eat and drink and they, and they got up to play. What they're talking about is there was a, a really bad party that began to happen with a lot of immorality. And the people started worshiping this false god and they're going, that's our god. That's the thing we worship now. That's what's going to have all our attention, all of our affection. And even it kind of took their finances, didn't it? You want to know what you worship as we look into a little bit of application? Because we would today go, there's no way I would ever set up a golden calf in my room. So Daniel, let's move on from this one. But I think sometimes we can be tempted into idolatry, that we worship things that are not God. Well, what are those things? And everyone's starting to like sit, don't you start. And I'm telling you, I don't write any of this stuff down with thinking of anybody's faces. So, so if, I, if I touch your God a little bit, we're going to trust that's just the Lord. For me, growing up, it was sports. That was my God. How did I know that was my God? It's what I spent my time, my finances. It got all my attention and affection. Right? It was sports. I loved it. I would do anything for it. I wasted all my time on it. It could be other things, though. What are these gods that we can worship? Doing student ministry as long as I did, sometimes it could be education or a career that we're trying to go after. And it consumes us. It has every bit of us. And it becomes what we trust in. For some, it's finances, right? As long as this amount of money is in the bank, we trust God amazingly. But boy, if that starts going down, we start you know, and I don't know how I'm going to make this work. Well, don't trust in it. Just trust in God. But we could set up these other things that become so important to us, they become our gods. And it's not always even bad things. Sometimes it's hot. Like baseball is not a sin unless it becomes your God. And the same could be true for any hobby, right? Whether, whether it's, it's going out hiking or whether it's, you know, just uh, rebuilding a, a car or whether it's, you know, I started getting into woodwork and I had to go, okay, good, careful, buddy. <laughs> I could spend all night in a garage now. I got to be careful that these things do not become my God. But these people started worshiping this God. And you know this story, they get back down, Moses gets back down the mountain, he goes, what's going on here? And Aaron, stinking liar, goes, 
You know, the people were freaked out. They gave me their gold. I threw it in the fire. The calf came out. Stop. I, I mean, doesn't he say it that way? And then the calf just came right out. No, it didn't. You built that thing. You fashioned that thing. Do you know what Moses did? You remember he ground that thing into powder, threw it in the river, and made the people drink it? Man, you can drink your God, man. So we could become idolaters. What, verse 8 he says, let us not commit sexual immorality. Oh, this again. Didn't we already do 1 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7? You know, but what is he talking about that day when 23,000 fell? He's talking about Numbers chapter 25. And it actually starts a few chapters before that. But when the people are coming, there's a king named Balak who's going, this is a lot of people. We got to curse them. So he goes and gets this man of God named Balaam. And Balaam is supposed to curse the people and he tries to curse the people, but every time he goes up on different mountains to curse the people, he blesses them because they're God's people. He can't curse them. But we learn in Revelation what he did, that sly little rat, that he said, God's people can't be defeated from the outside, but they sure know how to destroy themselves. He said, do this. Just send your women out there. Just get them all dolled up, send them out there. And what happens is the people of Israel fall and they go and take these other women and start committing sexual immorality and the people just give themselves to people who have no desire for the things of God. And we're not going to talk about it too much right now, but it, it would be this idea of being unequally yoked. That he would go and find someone, or these guys would go, and so that was a stumbling block to them. And the people turned this into, again, another one of these crazy parties where they're having a lot of immorality. And it gets to the point that that people have to get put to death. And at the end of the day, 23,000 who decided, I'm not following God anymore, I'd rather have that. Again, all of these are things in the context of what we're talking about that Paul is saying, these are the ways that we can come, become disqualified. Ways that we can really blow our witness as we try to represent Christ in this culture. Whether it's lusting after things, whether it's serving other gods, whether it's sexual immorality. Verse 9, he says, let's not tempt Christ like some of them tempted, and they were destroyed by serpents. In Numbers chapter 21, we see this story that the people complain, and there's these fiery serpents that come, and the people are destroyed. Verse 10, he says, Don't complain, nor complain as some of them complained, and they're destroyed by the destroyer. And we see this, if you read the book of Exodus, it's all over. I mean, it is all over the book of Exodus, all over the book of Numbers. And it would probably be all over Leviticus if that wasn't just a little two-week span where he's just giving them the law. The people were set on complaining. And what was the complaint? Do you remember what the complaint sounded like? It would sound something like this. They'd say, Moses... Why did you bring us out into the wilderness to die? Now, when they got delivered from Egypt, it was what? To go to the promised land, right? But they lost sight of the promised land and only looked at what was in front of them. 
And they said, Moses, why did you bring us here to die? And they would say something like this, oh, that we were back in Egypt. Oh, that we could have been over there. Do you remember the food? Do you remember how good the food was? Oh, the leeks and the garlic and the onions and all the good stuff, the pots of meat that we had in Egypt. And if you've ever seen Veggie Tales, do you remember what the little P says at this point? He looks over and says, we were in slavery, you know? (laughs) The people didn't care. I don't care that I'm a slave. I had good food to eat. They were complainers all the time. And as soon as God would miraculously meet the need, He would totally minister to them. He he, he sent bread from heaven when they complained for food. He sent water out of a rock when they complained. There was that time in Marah where they get to a place and there's bitter water. And he says, Moses, just cut off that tree, throw it in there, the water will turn sweet. Miraculous stuff that they see God do. And no more than a few days later they go, Moses, why'd you bring us out here to kill us? It would have been better had we just died in Egypt. And there's this complaining that happens. And the root of all these things, of the lusting after other things, of the idolatry, sexual immorality, tempting the Lord our God, complaining against the Lord, it's all rooted in this thing that is so ugly and we all have it in us, this thing of pride. This idea that I know better. My plans are better than God's plans. And we're all tempted to do it. We're all tempted at times to complain against the Lord and to say, my way's better. And it's pride. And we know what the Bible says. The Bible says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I'll share just real quickly. There was a a season of time a few months ago when our our daughter broke her arm. And it was like, it it was one of those really good breaks. If you saw it on Instagram, it was one of those good ones where both bones break. looks like she has a second elbow hanging down right here. And, uh, And I remember, I think it was Psalm chapter 38. I might be just a little bit off with the psalm. I know it was verse 8, I know that. But as I was sitting outside of the x-ray room, I read this psalm in the New Living Translation and it said, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. And I remember thinking, Lord, we're in the hospital with a broken arm. And we have to sedate our daughter just to get it reset. Is this really the best plan for my life? And there was this temptation to really complain against the Lord. But I realize now, months later, how it caused us to trust in the Lord more in that moment. It caused me to trust him in a way I wouldn't have trusted him if that hadn't have happened. And this is the case in so many things, isn't it? When we're tempted to complain against the Lord, we don't know what that trial is doing for us. 
We don't know. Sometimes not till, till weeks or months, years, decades after sometimes. Where we go, why did I go through that? And all of a sudden, boom, something happens and you're like, because I needed to learn how to trust. Or I needed to learn what was going on in that situation. And so we have to be so careful when we see these examples in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, how gracious God is to teach us the lessons. When He said God was not well pleased with them, with what? With the lust, with the complaining, with the idolatry, with the immorality. How gracious of the Lord to tell us what's on the test, right? So how do we know if God will not be well pleased with us? Well, if we demonstrate these same things, He's not well pleased with those things. What is He well pleased with? Well, with faith, with trusting in Him. Yesterday, I was able to, to teach a study from the book of Jeremiah. And he, and he says, we need to trust in the Lord. Not trust in our own heart. Not to trust in other men. And not to trust in other gods. There's so many things that we could be tempted to put our trust in, but that we would put our full weight in trusting in the Lord. Now, all these things, though, that we just talked about, these examples, verse 11 says, now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition. You realize these books of the Bible, Moses didn't have to write about all the times that people complained, but he did. Why? So that we could have that example. And they're written for our ad admonition that they would admonish us, that they would stir us up, that they would say, hey, here's the way. And so he says this in verses 12 and 13, because some of us might be tempted to say, I wouldn't do those things. I'm not like that. That stuff doesn't bother me. I don't worship other gods. I'm not tempted by sexual immorality. I, I'm not one that gives in to my intense cravings. I don't complain. Verse 12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. You see, the reality is it's in all of us. This is in all of us. No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord or how little you've been walking with the Lord, there will always be these things that would make us fall. And we have to always guard against them. So he says that the one who thinks he stands, take heed. What does it mean to take heed? Pay attention. Look for it, right? It's the same idea in uh, Ephesians where he says to walk circumspectly. I think the best example of walking circumspectly would be like as if you're walking through like a cow field. You walk circumspectly. What does that mean? You're really looking at where every step is going to land. Right? That you're walking and you're going, don't step there. Or like when we were on that trail in Canada of having someone blaze the trail and go, don't step there. <laughs> don't, yep, step somewhere else. You know? So we need to take heed lest we fall. And then we're going to talk about this temptation because really all these things are a temptation for us. It's tempting to complain against God, isn't it? I mean, anyone ever been there where you're just like, God, I don't agree with where you got me right now. 
and there's this desire to complain or start asking that question, why for everything? Why, do I, why does it have to be this way? Why does it have to be this way, God? He says there's no temptation, though, that has overtaken us except that which is common to man. I think there's times that we can deceive ourselves when it comes to temptation. You see, temptation is really funny the way it works. Temptation is not sin, right? Because everyone gets tempted. The temptation, or the sin is when we give in to that temptation, right? Everyone's tempted. And, and, but I think sometimes we can deceive ourselves and go, no, you don't understand. My situation is so unique that I have to complain against God right now. No one has ever been in this difficult a situation. And we can deceive ourselves, because I've deceived myself. No one's ever felt what I am feeling right now. And so God understands that I'm complaining against Him. But He says, no. It's all common to man. Whatever you go through, and and in two ways, this, this text does two things. In one way, it's very comforting to me, right? To know that what I struggle with, everyone else struggles with. What, what I'm tempted to do, everyone else is tempted to do. Uh, I'm, I'm, calm, I'm normal <laughs> in that way. It's also kind of like a punch in the face, this text. Because the times that I would want to tell myself that my struggles are greater than anybody else's, the Lord says, stop it. They're not. They're the same as everyone else. We all struggle. We all hurt. We all have difficult times. Everybody, it's common. And then he says this, but God is faithful. But God is faithful. What what does it mean when we say he's faithful? It's like when a husband and a wife get married, they promise that they're going to be faithful faithful to one another. What does that mean? It means that they're not going to go out and have other relationships outside of that marriage. That's what it means to be faithful to each other, right? Right? I don't think I'd be too good if my wife goes, hey, we're married, totally love you, but, um, but I've got like these five other boyfriends over here and, you know, but it's cool. I love you still the most. <laughs> of course that's not okay. Of course that's not okay. I expect of myself, that I be faithful to my wife, I expect that my wife should be faithful to me. Well, the same is true with God. He is faithful. That when we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, because we're all sinners, aren't we? We're all sinners. We've all done things wrong, and that leaves us out of heaven. Jesus Christ has come and said, I love you so much. I'll forgive that sin. I invite you into a relationship with me, and when that's all over, you're in heaven. Good news. And he says, and now I'm with you. And don't we love that verse in Hebrews that says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. God is faithful, guys. God is faithful. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's there. He's our present help in time of need that he's close to us. God is close to us. He is faithful. He doesn't leave. Right, So when he says the temptation thing, he says there's no temptation except what's common to man. And God is faithful. 
He's right there with you. And here's what he does. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Isn't that comforting? There are times in work that you can get thrown into a situation by your boss or something where you're like, I don't know how to do this. This is way beyond what I've been taught, right? I think of like Mike. If I'm to go to like Mike's tires, he's like, hey, take that tire off. (laughs) I wouldn't even know where to start. (laughs) I wouldn't even know where to even begin with that stuff, you know? I can take it off the car, that's it. I can't take it off the rim. I don't even, again, I wouldn't even know. But God is not like that with us. He will never bring us to a place that we cannot withstand that temptation. Isn't that comforting? Again, it's two things. It's comforting, it's a punch in the face. Right? Because there's times we give in to temptation. There's times that we go and we, and we still do the thing that he just said, don't do that. And we come to this place of temptation and, and, and he says that he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able. Aren't there times though that you're like, I couldn't help myself. I just couldn't help myself. I had to. I had to say that thing back. I had to throw that insult back. Or I had to complain. Who else was going to? I had to do it. I had to complain. I had to give in to that temptation. I had to watch that. I couldn't stop. No, 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 no. He says we'll never be tempted beyond what we're able. I don't know, Daniel. I think I have been tempted beyond my ability. No, you haven't. How do I know that? Because God's true. What's that verse in Romans? Like, God be true and every man a liar. That God is true. God is faithful. He is there with us. And of course, when we start talking about temptation and not being able to be tempted beyond what we're able, he says this of the temptation, and with the temptation, he'll also make a way of escape that you'd be able to bear it, right? There's always a way of escape. Now, that way of escape, when temptation first sets in, is about the size of like a big barn door, usually. But when we say things like, but I'm just going to go a step further, because I know, yeah, the way of escape's right there, but I'm just going to kind of, just not just to, And it's like the door gets a little smaller. Now it's just the single barn door. And then we go a little further, right? And now it's maybe just the size of those sanctuary doors. And then we go a little further. Maybe now it's just the size of that sanctuary door. To where at the end, it's only about the size of a window where we can jump out of that. And then we go, see, I fell into temptation. I I didn't even know what. And I think one of the things we always think about is King David. Whenever we talk about temptation, you guys remember King David? We studied it probably about a year ago on Thursday nights. But there was that incident of his where he's the king and and the story starts out, you know, it was in the spring of the year. It was the time that kings are supposed to go out to battle, but the king decided to stay home. And what the king should have done is gone, you know what? I should be out at the battle right now. He should have gotten up and gone out to the battle. But he didn't. Instead, he got, went to the stairs and walked up to the roof 
And we don't know if it was because he knew what he would see there. We don't know if she knew she'd be seen there. We don't know the particulars, but we know that when he got up there on the roof, he looked down and saw a woman bathing. And it says she was beautiful. Okay. The way of escape for him in that moment, you know, those same stairs that brought him up onto the roof were the same stairs that could have taken him right back down. Instead, what does he do? He sends for her. He says, hey, does anyone know who that is? Oh, sure, she's married. She's actually married to one of your best soldiers. Oh. He could have, at that moment, walked right back down the stairs and gotten out of trouble. But because he's the king and he wields a lot of power, he goes, go get her, bring her over here. And we know the story, that he has an immoral relationship with her. She gets pregnant. And at that point, he could have just said, you know what, man? Oh, gosh, I totally messed up. Let's just get this out in the open. Let's figure it out. Instead, he goes, let's do this. Let's call that guy off the front lines because he's out at the battle. Let's call Uriah home. And then Uriah can come spend a night with his wife, you know. And then when the baby's born, it'll just be like, well, you know, he did have that visit home that one time. You know the story. Uriah goes, I can't go home. Are you kidding? I can't go have relations with my wife knowing all my, all my comrades are out in battle. And so he goes, why don't you stay one more night? <laughs> and so then he gets him drunk. The king gets him drunk, hoping that that'll get him back home to go sleep with his wife. And instead what he does is he, as he stays there, he's got more sense drunk than David does sober. And he doesn't go and sleep with his wife. And so finally David goes, okay, well, then we're going to have to do this the hard way. And he writes a letter. Hey, uh, go get into a really intense battle. Put Uriah in the front. And when he's up there, back off. Let him get killed. He folds the letter, gives it to Uriah. What a man of God, right? That that guy took that note of his own death sentence and walked it over. It, it would seem he didn't even read the note. He, he was that loyal to his king and to his country and to his God. And he takes the letter and, and, you know, the commander reads it and goes, oh, okay, well, that's a weird thing, but okay. Sends him out into the battle, they withdraw, he dies. And so David's like, sweet, it's cool. I'll just take her in. You know, I'm such a good guy. And all, and all this stuff, all along the way, he had time that he could have just said, hey, you know what? I blew it. This is too much or whatever. But all of this could have been fixed had he just gone right back down the stairs. Actually, it all could have been fixed had he just gone out to the battle like he was supposed to. It's all common though, guys. All the temptation we get, it's common. It's common to man, and God is faithful, and he always provides a way of escape that we will not be tempted. And so it is so neat to be able to come into temptation and go, oh man, I really want to do this thing. Name it, whatever it is. I really want to do this thing that I ought not to do. To be able to go, other people struggle with this, and I am capable of walking away from this right now. I can walk away this moment because God gives me the strength. And if you don't think that's true, we are lying to ourselves. Because God is faithful, God is true. He will allow us to keep trusting in Him. But we all have those temptations to complain against the Lord, to complain against what we're going through. There, I can't tell you how many guys, and, it's, and, and, and as Paul talks about this, he's talking in a context of things that would be disqualifiers for him to minister to God's people, right? 
And how many countless people have we seen that have been God's representatives that stand in a place just like this, that begin to serve other gods and they abuse their power, sometimes by way of misuse of church funds. We've seen it. I was talking to a group of guys this weekend and they were talking about how the person who was at one time the administrator of their church was embezzling money. Disqualified, man. How many countless men have we seen who have been God's representatives that have gotten wrapped up in sexual immorality and disqualified themselves? It's all stuff that's common to man. And so Paul would say, I write this all as our examples. Because whether you're the pastor or not, whether you serve in children's ministry or not, all of us, if we're Christians, bear the name of Christ and we're his ambassadors to the world. We represent him to the whole wide world. And people, I know I've said it before, but I'll say it again. People make judgments about our God based on our behavior. For good or bad. Right or wrong that they do that. Well, don't blame me. I'm just the messenger. I'm just, no, we're his representative. That's the highest calling we carry in this life is that we're his ambassadors. Especially in a small town like this, man. People see you in Stater Brothers, you know? <laughs> they, they see you when you're wanting to like have it out with your wife at Target, you know? We don't need that. Yes, we do. No, we don't. But, you know, and, and oh, hey, pastor. Oh, hey. <laughs> Funny you'd see me here like this, you know. You know, there's even time, again, because it's like, I, we're just, we're on display, guys. We're his ambassadors. We represent God in our workplaces. I'll tell you, there's times even like in our in our. You know, in our kitchen, it's like, man, I don't want to stumble anybody. My wife at one time was like, you know, I'd really like this, you know, this. It's like, I'm not going in the alcohol aisle at our Stater Brothers. Are you kidding me? I don't want to stumble anybody. I don't want somebody who maybe struggles with alcoholism to be like, well, it's cool for pastors, so I'm cool. I don't want to do that. Guys, the highest, the highest thing we are is we're his representatives in this world. And our attitudes in our words, in our actions, we represent God to people. And so Paul is saying, guys, I don't want in any way to disqualify myself. I don't want in any way for you to disqualify yourself. And so when temptation comes, the temptation to lust after things, to, to uh, be idolaters, to be sexually immoral, or to tempt Christ, or to just complain against him, God's going, it's not beyond what you can handle. Just say no. Just say no. And do it early. (laughs) Say no early. Because you know, just as well as I do, as we continue to entertain temptation, if we just keep entertaining it, keep entertaining it, keep entertaining it. One guy spoke of a really... Uh, ugly situation. It's when, it's when opportunity meets desire. You know, when when you have the desire to do this thing, temptation and opportunity and desire, and when those all three come together, and there's that opportunity, 
will fall into temptation. It's better to just run because the counter of David, right, the opposite of David would be a young man named Joseph. Do you remember that? When, when, the children, when he was the first one actually to go to Egypt and he's there, he's a young man and there's uh, Potiphar's wife who's beautiful as well and, and she even is the aggressor. And she's going, hey, I like you a lot, man. And my husband's never around. Right? She goes after him. And, and she says, finally, she just, gets, she just goes straight out, lie with me. And what does he say? I mean, young kid, far from home, sold into slavery. Everything's been against him in life, you know. And he goes, how could I do this evil against the Lord? He says, no way. Finally, to the point that she makes sure all the servants are out of the house and she grabs him and she, she gets him and you can imagine she's like pulling him in for a kiss, you know, and he snakes out of his robe and he jets. He runs off naked. That's how you get away from, I'm not, I don't say run around naked to get away from temptation. <laughs> I say, I say, but whatever it takes to run from temptation, you run from temptation. So often, the way of escape is the same way we got there. However I got here, I need to get back out of here, right? And then the times that we're like, I just can't get out of here, then we trust God. And again, you know, when the temptations to complain, that's, I think, one of my biggest things, you know, like, again, talking about when my daughter broke her arm, I just wanted to complain to the Lord. And it's like, just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> just, just keep your mouth shut right now and don't stumble your wife with all your complaining against God because then she'll start complaining against God. Just shut up. Sometimes that's the way. But with whatever it is, with the temptation, there will also be a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. What a good promise from the Lord. And so today, let's keep our eyes open when we see temptation coming and say, oh, nope, there it is. I'm going to go this way or whatever, you know. That way, if we were to read back chapter 9, verse 27, where he says, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I should become disqualified. Lest we become disqualified. Let's represent the Lord well. Let's discipline ourselves. Lord, we thank you so much that even though, Lord, we don't always possess the power, Lord, the, the amazing thing is, is you have given us your Holy Spirit to help us, to be our helper, to be our strength, to be the one that would help us run from temptation. And so, Lord, maybe today your word has touched our hearts to realize that there's areas that we have fallen short, there's areas that we're not doing it right. Lord, we want to get those things right before you. So help us, God. Help us to live for you. Help us to walk with you. Help us, Lord, as we're your ambassadors. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.